really easy to preach sermons and teach passages to them and not to us. And in so doing, we are addressing who is not here as opposed to addressing who is here. When we do that, we a lot of times are ignoring the actual truth that's in the text. That God, when He speaks to us through His Word, He is speaking to us as His people for the sake of us living in a way that is altogether different than the rest of uh, creation. That we are a something else. That God has made us as believers something else. And when we wrestle with this, what we have to realize and what we have to notice is that God is doing something in us. He's making us a new creation. But in this world and in this life, we will always be at battle with our old self, is what the Scriptures say. The old man, the old humanity, what was inside of us. Our family, 18 months ago, decided to make this terrible decision where we got a dog. And I don't know if you've ever pondered or pontificated what it means to own a dog. Or, or what it entails when you already have four children at your house and you add a dog to that chaos. But we did that. We made that decision. And my children love the dog, and I love my children. And we had to wrestle with it. So here's a picture. Gus right now, he's at a place called Canine Castle in Alvin. They, it's called a castle because they charge you as if that dog is a prince. Family just wrapped up vacation. That, that's him. On the way to Canine Castle the other day, uh, this was his head on my shoulder. They, yeah, you can tell I'm elated about it. Go Vols, by the way. And you'll notice my, his head is on my shoulder. He is a Velcro dog. The actual uh, breed is called a Vishla, but he is a Velcro dog. You can take that photo of me down. That's awkward. But... Uh, he loves to sit beside you. He loves to be there with you. He loves to uh, love you, to be in your lap. He is a lap dog that weighs 65 pounds. It is an overwhelming thing when you begin to deal with this dog. Here's what I have come to realize, though. This dog needs a lot of exercise. And I don't like a lot of exercise. I like a little exercise. And... The kids will have their school days, and I will take Gus early in the morning to the dog park to watch him run. I have met more people because of this dog than I ever planned on meeting. I'm this weird combination of an introvert and an extrovert, and there I am keeping a list of people's names in my phone so I'll remember them the next time that I see them. And I've got their dog's names, and sometimes I call them by their dog's names. His favorite thing to do to go in, when he goes into the park, there are birds for him to, to run. He loves birds. He doesn't want to be... He's a bird dog. That's what they do. They love birds. We show up and he's got his harness on. And the moment he sees a bird, regardless of how much he's been Velcroed to me all day, how much he's attached himself to me up to that moment, when he sees a bird, he is ready to run it. When we're driving from my house to the dog park or from my house to wherever we may go, if he sees a bird out of the windshield, he tries to leap out of the windshield. It's inside of him. If we're walking around the college trail, 
where there are numerous birds in land. He is absolutely fine introducing himself to every human, smelling every dog he comes across. He's this friendly dog. But the moment he sees a bird inside of him that tells him he should pursue that thing, it, it just kicks in. He starts pointing. He starts growling. He begins to want to run for that. And I've got this harness on him trying to hold him back, trying to pull against this. Now, I can always control him with the harness because he's 65 pounds and I'm not 65 pounds. (laughs) But to tell me that there are these dog trainers who who can cause him not to do that, that can cause him to fight the impulse that's within, to control himself in the face of that, the new you on this side of eternity is always going to be at battle with the old you. And there is a desire inside of each of us to pursue sin, to chase after what that is and to function in a way as if that matters. You will always be at battle with that. John Owen has said this, you are to be killing sin or it will be killing you. For those of us who are believers, when we read a text, we we can come to a place where we think, oh man, it tells us that the Gentiles are bad. I should not be a Gentile. Well, that's not the true point of the text. The true point of the text is for us to see that there is that thing inside of us that we're always going to be at war with. And we learn to harness it, to control it, to, to... to move our lives towards this focus on the person of Jesus. So we're in the text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Do you look alongside with me? Therefore, I say this and I testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as Gentiles do. In the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They become callous. And they gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But now, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth because one, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't let the devil, don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit 
You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ Jesus. The big idea of our sermon today really comes down to this. Don't let who you were take the place of who you are. Don't let what you were somehow supersede what God has made you in the person of Jesus. And as I said, this text could easily be preached. Gentiles are bad. Don't be Gentiles. That's true. It's just not the point. And if our goal is for me to stand in a room who, of people who claim to follow after Jesus and convince the convinced, then we've missed the point. We as believers in Jesus look at a text like this and we see that what God is actually doing is He's identifying inside of each of us that there is a desire to pursue things that God would not have us to pursue. To be what we were and forget who we are. To overlook what God has done for the sake of what we want to do. So when you read in verse 17 the word therefore, it throws us back. Rewind. To verse 1 where Paul has said to us in Ephesians 4.1, live a life worthy of our calling. By the power of the Spirit, our behavior is to line up with what God has called us to. Well, what has God called us to? God called us from sin to Jesus, from death to life, from despair to hope. From being separated from God to being united with God. And when we see in this passage that we are to live a life worthy of this calling, it sets in motion for us the focus of the heart of a believer. Our behavior must line up with our calling. You, shouldn't lo you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now when you read that, that the Gentiles have things that they want, things that they want to pursue. We can easily make this a sermon to the Gentiles. The thing is, Paul is not addressing the Gentiles. Now, these people are Gentiles. But he's already said in chapter 2 that they're no longer that. They've been removed from that. The people of God are something else. So the qualifiers in that world were that you had the Gentiles and you had the Jewish people. But what God has done for us in Jesus' name, those who were part of this pagan tradition, with those who had aligned themselves with the, the, guard, the rules of the, as the family of God, as Jewish people, he's saying there's something new that's been made. We're something else. And any time that we see things that are taking place in society where there is division over rules and behavior, understand this. Yes, we, can, we should look and seek to see what is most like Jesus, but we're not to be this or that. We as God's people are something else. We're something else altogether. We're united with God for the purpose of being what God would have us to be. So you read through 17 through 19, and you see that he's addressing the Gentiles, but you'll notice... This is the language that he uses to discuss the Gentiles lets you know that the Gentiles can't hear him anyway. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thoughts, their clouded minds. Those who are apart from Jesus, they cannot even hear to be corrected. 
They are darkened in their understanding. They can't see to be direct outside of the Spirit's work. They can't see what they're supposed to do. Excluded from the life of God. They're dead because they're apart from God. Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Their hearts are not soft to the truth of Jesus. So every time that we seek to live out a sermon that tells people who are apart from Jesus how to behave as people like Jesus, we are caught up in rules that the gospel does not tell us. We are God's people displaying the hope of Jesus. Not rules. Not ritual. It's more than that. It's something else altogether. So you'll want so what Paul is saying though in the text because he's not addressing the Gentiles he's addressing God's people he's addressing the something else which is us he's saying to believing people because you are something else because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross I don't want you to walk back toward darkness and if he's having to give us that direction here's what he's saying you're going to want to don't you want to Don't you want to? And in wanting to find ourselves locked in that sin, whatever that sin was, what we will seek to do is be connected to that sin in a way that is acceptable to the eyes of the people who are around us. We're not just people who are behaving differently. Followers of Jesus are a new creation altogether. Hear this. So, what we're going to see is, without spiritual discipline, you're going to behave as if someone who is darkened, as if someone who is dead, as if someone who cannot hear, nor can they see. So, when we as believers begin to deal with this, here's what we're going to see. Our darkness functioning in socially acceptable ways without dealing with the depths of the sin in our heart is going to cause us to do things like this. We're going to shout, they are sexually promiscuous. And we're going to ignore the fact that our marriages are in shambles. We're going to scream, they are stealing, and we're going to ignore that we are hoarding wealth. We're going to focus on their practice and ignore our posture. We're going to interpret text for them as literal, but we're going to interpret text for ourselves as symbolic. So when Jesus tells the rich young ruler in that passage that he should forsake everything to follow him, we make that super symbolic, And we ignore that Jesus is actually addressing something in that man's life. To follow me, this stuff has to go. This stuff can be a large bag of different things. Following Jesus means turning away from something. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, what we've just walked through are a list of things that we see as problematic. But if we're fighting fire with fire, that's not really an option for believers. We don't fight fire with fire. We fight death with life. We fight sin with a crucified Savior. We're going to want to be what we were. 
As we are growing in our walk with Jesus, we become more and more like who we are. He has done something that is all to, made us all to, making us altogether different. And we are never to forget that. Our understanding of hope, it's found fully, wholly, and completely in Jesus our Messiah. Go with me to verse 20. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. You see in the text that really the Apostle Paul is letting us know that as followers of Jesus, very much like he looked at the rules and the rituals of Judaism and has tempted to create connection with God by following us, he saw how futile that was. How many of us are, if we're being completely transparent, whatever the newest guru gives us in regards to what truth is, we're going to follow that rule, follow that ritual, and we ignore the hope that Jesus actually presents to us by the power of his word. They would say to us as God's people, he never forget what that is. Because God has done a unique work in us. This is what you were. This is who you are. And you see in the passage, what's going to take place is there are three things that are going to play out. You're going to see what we're told to put off, what we're told to put on, and what we're told to put away. Off, on, away. Go with me, 22. Take off, your, to take off or put off, one translation reads, your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. What you were, remove it. Who you are, wear it. All the time, wear it. So for the believers in Jesus in the room, this is very much like this. Imagine that you have decided to exercise and you and your wife have, or you and your husband have a, an evening plan where you're going, you're going to go to Lake Jackson's finest dining establishment, Whataburger. Azels, we know. Husband's been working in the yard all day. He's a sweaty, grotesque mess. I'm going to take a quick shower. He goes in to take said quick shower. When he comes out of, prepare, of getting ready, you're, you're there and you are ready to go. You're expecting him to be in his finest Magellan shirt. Side note, I do not get enough free fish given to me for the number of fishing shirts worn in this community. But when he walks out, though he has been cleaned by taking a shower, you notice that he's put on his yard clothes. You'd never want him to do that. He shouldn't want to do that. That's ignorant. And if you think that's not ignorant, you're ignorant. It's just as ignorant when we as believers in Jesus, we put on the clothes of this world, even though God has said to us, you're a new creation. You put on a new person in Jesus to take off your former way of life. He's going to use the same language in Colossians 3. 
Take off your old self, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity of truth. This is what you were. This is who you are. On this side of eternity, we are going to do battle with that continually. Take off your old self, old man, old humanity, old Adam. That's what we see in the, lang- in the language of the Scriptures, that there is the fallen nature of Adam. You are to remember that that has been taken off of you. You're to put on the new self. That is the new man. That is the person of Jesus. And the Spirit is always going to be at work in the renewing process. Ongoing, growing renewal in the person of Jesus. And as we are people who are seeking after Jesus by the power of His Spirit, He will use His Word to show us what it means to have our lives affected and to grow like Jesus. We're going to be in the image of Christ, the text tells us. What we find in in verse 24, to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. There is an image that we are to convey, and that is the image of who we are in Jesus, which is what God had initially intended for us to be in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make humanity in our own image. That's before Adam, Eve, a snake, nudity, weird story. This collapse takes place because of that. You are made in the image of Jesus as a believer. It is God restoring things to the way they are supposed to be. If you were to evaluate your life right now, would you say that your life looks the way that God would have it to be? We will battle these things in us that are unlike Jesus. To do so, we have to to unlearn the way of our world, the way of sin and darkness and, and death. Put off, put on, put on the new self. And then he says in verse 25, put these things away. And he's going to give us this continual list. He gives us five examples that are pretty helpful for us. And they follow a pattern. You see the pattern when you read the text. There's a negative, there's a positive, there's a spiritual. These next few verses have five examples. Negative, positive, spiritual. Negative, positive, spiritual. Therefore, put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Don't lie, tell the truth, we belong to each other. When we are living apart from belonging to each other, we are living in an isolation isolation that God did not intend. Speak the truth in love. It enhances, when we speak the truth in love, it enhances the life of the body. Look, when you're lying and I'm lying to you, when we just live in this weird cloud of lies, does it really do anything for anybody? I know that people like to say Rahab, yeah, she was also a prostitute. Anybody doing that? We work toward being more like Jesus because we belong to one another. Be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't sin when you're angry. Deal with it. Otherwise, Satan has an opportunity. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Psalm 4, and it seems as if Paul is referencing Psalm 4 here. Hand your anger over. 
Otherwise, it festers, which is a word we don't use enough. My grandmother loved that word. It gets worse and worse, infected, infested. It invades every crevice of your soul and every interaction of your life. When we allow anger to, to sit there on us. You give Satan an opportunity. Another thing, just in regard to anger, if all of your anger, if you believe that all of your anger is righteous anger, then you probably have a hard time defining what righteousness actually is. Because you're saying that you, and I, or I'm saying that I, and I, I will sometimes, that I am the person to which we should look. And the moment we begin to tell people, if you want to understand righteousness, look at me. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. So you'll see that rhythm again. Negative. Don't steal. I'm pro not stealing. Share. Meet the needs of others. In so doing, you're doing the work of heaven. Now, the Bible does talk to us about working hard and for our stuff and earning things. Here, Paul is directly saying that when we are going to follow the pattern of Jesus, don't steal, share. Keep the needs of others in mind. This has the needs of others in mind. That is a picture of heaven. To not be focused on you. It seems when you read through these examples as if the way of the Gentile is the way of ignoring being part of something bigger. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. So that it gives grace to those who hear. Pattern. Watch your language. Use language that builds. It is a display of grace. Now, the, the word there for about foul language is actually rotten words. It's the word we would use for fruit. Anybody popped a rotten apple in lately? That's grotesque. As a matter of fact, Granny Smith apples are the only ones that I like, but the rest of them are really gross if they go rotten. That decay affects everything. Let your speech be helpful to others. Now, what we do as people who like rules is we read a verse like this and we begin to say, don't let foul language come from my mouth. And we think that's only about the crass things that you may hear someone say. The problem with that is, there is foul language being used by people who are saying socially acceptable words daily. Have you heard of Twitter? Have you looked at a Facebook post that was not a recipe? Over and over we see foul language, language used to, to corrupt, to dissolve the, the image of God in someone else because we happen to disagree with them? Watch your language. Use language that builds. It is a display of grace. Whose grace? Not yours. God's grace. Let your speech be helpful for other people. So, so just, when were your words helping someone else? 
We don't just eliminate vice. We want to replace it with virtue. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. Paul seems pretty serious about that. Peter alludes to it. How about us? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Don't work in contrast to the Spirit. So as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, we believe that God the Father, through the crucifixion and resurrection of His Son, He he sent His Spirit to live in the hearts and lives of His people. And we have become the new creation. We have become the something else. We are not Israel. We are not Gentiles. We're a new people. There are illustrations in the Bible of what took place when the people of God, what we see in the Old Testament, seem to be working and functioning in ways that grieve the Holy Spirit. Isaiah actually references it. In the wilderness, we see the Israelites, they rebelled against... So, if you are unfamiliar with the story of the Bible, forgive me. Here's how it works. There is a situation in the book of Exodus where Moses leads the children of God out of Egyptian captivity. The Israelites who were held captive and were forced to work as slave labor for the Egyptians, they are making their exit. Everything is good. God has done miraculous things. And I mean high-level miraculous. But they get out and they begin to crave what they were. And in craving what they were, they were craving their slavery to the Egyptians. They were craving that this shadow was over them when they were living in Egyptian captivity. And while they're in the wilderness, they begin to look around and they begin to complain. Can you believe that God would just allow us to be out here with nothing to eat? I mean, like Chick-fil-A dropping from heaven. They grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit takes place when God's people choose to not function as God's people. Gratitude, thankfulness, consideration of what God has done so that we can belong to one another. 31. Let all bitterness, anger, and rage, and wrath Shouting and slander be removed from you along with malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ, as God also forgave you in Christ. Here's the rhythm, negative, don't slander, and that other stuff, etc. The amplifier. Be kind and forgive. Forgive like who? Forgive like Jesus. Wait. I'm supposed to forgive in the way that Jesus forgives? Revolutionary. When it says be kind there, (laughs) there are many who believe that Paul was using a play on words because the word for kind in the original language and the word for Christ, they look alike. Not the exact same word, but similar situations. Be kind like Christ is kind. Want good for people you disagree with. Forgive others to the degree that Christ has forgiven you. 
when we begin to think about who has wronged us as believers in Jesus in our lives. We are to look at Jesus as the standard by which we are to understand forgiveness altogether. So when we are hurt or wronged, our response is not a response that comes from our darkened Gentile old hearts, but from our converted, renewed new hearts. We are God people. We are people of Jesus in a world that desperately needs to see that. And the only hope that we would see that God would use the lives of followers of Jesus to show to the darkened hearts of whomever your darkened hearts that you interact with every day are. There is one hope, and that is Jesus. And if there is this visual that they get of people responding in the way of the world, just in a different approach to that, they will not see Jesus, they will just see you. And you and I, we're not the point. Paul, I love what he does here. He says, you forgive just as God has forgiven you. Well, we understand the forgiveness of Christ simply in this. that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed on our behalf. That our only hope is that Jesus would die in our place. Our only hope of eternal life is that Jesus would, would conquer a grave. So when this text brings us back to this place, it is reminding us as to how we understand and how we grasp forgiveness and how really forgiveness has grasped us. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to take communion. We take communion consistently here at Grace. If you're a believer in the room, what I want you to do is this. I want you to come to the table, take the cup, and take of the bread. You can do that, again, individually. King's going to play in the background, but here's what you're doing. You were saying that you acknowledge that this is the body of Christ broken for you. That this is the blood of Jesus shed for you. That you are remembering that. That that has taken hold of you. And that this idea of the forgiveness of Christ and the new creation are not lost on you. So when you take of the cup and drink of the when you take of the cup and you eat of the bread, please remember that if you're not a believer in this room, can I just ask you not to not to take it? And if you're not a believer and you really want to take this because you believe that Jesus died for you and you want to become a new person in Christ, that you believe that God is doing that work in your life, I'm going to have a cup with me for you and for myself at the back of the room. And I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to walk with Jesus, know Jesus, trust Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these people, and I thank you for your love for them. I thank you that you have made us new in you. Lord, I thank you for this church that... I get to the gift of being part of for these people that I really get to call family. Lord, I pray that we'll see that. We'll acknowledge that. We'll know that. We'll believe that. God, I pray that everything inside of us that wants to exist apart from you, God, that you will put that to death in us. That we will be killing sin. Christ, we love you. We trust you. As we take of the cup, as we eat of the bread, 
would we remember that this is your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Feel free to take of the cup and drink of the bread. Or eat, take of the cup and eat the bread.